In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. It's Friday. We've got a bridge from the mainland of Hawaii right here with the lovely Haley Higgins, a veteran in all cannabis capacities, event management, marketing, client relations, management, development, advocate for cannabis for Veteran Alliance, Mom THC Girls, member of the Women's Cannabis chamber of commerce lover of all things plant science Haley, how you doing today i'm doing i'm in a parking lot i'm doing well it's an old navy parking lot and i think a home right. goods and a tj maxx sorry i keep seeing these flyways and i told you beforehand i would focus on them so i'm gonna try not to i don't know why that is such a girl thing like anyway um i'm yeah so <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I am four hours away from home right mm -hmm. now. And so I have that drive to look forward to and to think about all the weird things I'm about to do and say. So I will dwell on them for everyone and I will obsess for all of you. So if you think I do anything weird, just let it go. I've already clocked it and I will think about it a lot. So. <laughs> Nice. No it's hard. Yeah, sometimes we're our own worst critic, but it seems to me that what you're doing is pretty awesome stuff. You're trying to help out a lot of veterans by showing them how plant medicine can help them solve a lot of their problems. The problem is there's these huge roadblocks because the VA is like fight club about cannabis and about plant science in general, because mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals are the only answer or the only thing that they're allowed to give out. So if, and if you come in and I'm just going to lay it out there, word to the wise, if you come in there testing positive for THC and you're on some kind of like opiate for pain management or benzodiazepine for anxiety, 
don't be surprised if they yank that prescription from you because doctors at the VA and it's all liability and it's like, mm-hmm. whatever it is, what it is, but just be prepared to be treated differently. Like it's not, you're not, it's just not acceptable yet because it's still federally illegal. So people who are still in active, you know, service members are not allowed to use it. People like my husband, who is a prior, he's a combat veteran. Um, He did did two tours. He did 13, almost 14 years in the military. And then now it's, he works in the federal sector. So he has a security clearance and stuff. So he can't, because it's strictly forbidden by his company because he works with federal contracts. So, you know, and that is a huge market. They headhunt the shit out of veterans because Mm -hmm. they're stand-up people and they want them, you know, and typically they're people who are good with engineering and analytics and things like that. And so they're good in these engineering and, you know, um, like, like not um factory but like you know things like there are always government contracts like building things that are tanks or jets or whatever secrets that and so these people are not allowed to choose their own medicine i mean it's like they signed up to die yeah but they cannot choose what they ingest so my uncle was a vietnam veteran and um Last year, exactly almost a year ago, it was last June or maybe it was like and very end of May. He um had been sent home on end of life care because he had been exposed to Agent Orange while he was mm. in Vietnam, and it had affected his lung capacity so much that now he had diminished lung capacity to where he, if he laid flat, he would basically drown in his own mm. body. And, um, he was miserable. They sent him home with like a feeding tube and that he didn't want, he didn't sign for. And it was just like, he had just super subpar care. And then he decided to take his own life instead of, you know, go through hospice and go through all the end of life care and wither away and die, you know, and he hadn't fired a gun since he had come home from Vietnam. That was the first and only time he had fired a weapon. And he was just like the most gentle, good man. He was a good Mormon. He was a father. He was a grocer. You know what I mean? Just gentle, like happy with a very small life. <clears throat> but he was not given the dignity of being able to choose his own medicine in the end. And I wish I would have been able to implement what I know now, like about psychedelics, specifically psilocybin and how they implement it in end of life care and people who, you know, um, are, have, uh, like a stage four cancer, for example, or, or some sort of t- terminal diagnosis. And so Simon, it was like 50% of them showed improvement in overall well-being right. and mental health. And if I could have implemented that along with some cannabis, maybe in his end of life care, maybe he would have wanted to hang on a little bit longer, or maybe that wouldn't have been the end he chose, you know? Yeah. And so 
my own mom. Like, it's just, I have so many examples of where and who. So my own husband, I'm not going to lie. Like our marriage, we struggle because he's got PTSD diagnosed and he, 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 he's already, okay. I've already done a podcast and talked about it. So it's like, he has to know I'm okay. Or he has to be okay knowing I'm talking about this right now. I, I okayed it with him because it is yeah. personal, you sure. know, because I am talking about him. I won't talk about like specifics, but he has PTSD. You know, he saw combat twice and um, not everybody made it back. And he did. So his job in the military was road clearance and he mm. cleared IEDs. So he was a combat engineer. That's what the, the mm -hmm. technical name for it was. And so his, and he was also a captain. So he was an officer. So like he sent people out that didn't come back. And I think that is probably the hardest thing for him to deal with is like the survivor's guilt right. and knowing that he sent people out that didn't come home. And like he had to give them flag, give their wife a flag, you know, and it was, God, it is the only time I've seen him cry. I've maybe twice. Well, one of two times. And he is just the rest of the time stoic. We have two children. Okay. He had never cried when our babies were born or anything, you know, none of that stuff. But, you know, he was very emotional in, you know, at the, at the funeral for his brother. He's it's twice, two funerals that I've been to. And those are the only two times I've seen him cry. And it's both been his brothers in arms. So I know he carries these scars, right? But I'll be damned if it doesn't cause some fucking tension in our relationship. And I'm sorry to use that expression, but it's like, I feel like I it have to be so emphatic about it. Like, it is just yeah. rough. Because I don't know what that PTSD looks like. I have PTSD, but not that kind of PTSD. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I have childhood PTSD and like sexual abuse PTSD, but not near, I don't have combat. So it's like two completely different types of trauma and you cannot just lump them all together mm -hmm. under the umbrella of PTSD because they are entirely different. And I will never understand it unless I saw it myself. And so I can't even try to understand it. So I just feel like all I can do is try and come up with solutions to help ease that and help ease the transition back into everyday living and help just be a, be okay with life, you know, because life is hard divorce and, you know, death and loss of things, loss of jobs, loss of health, all these things can contribute to horrible mental health issues. And you come, you know, add some PTSD on top of that. And you just have a whole cocktail of mess. And then you have someone stoic, like my husband who refuses to take medication, refuses, you know, cause he's a soldier. Got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't be weak. You can't let them see anything. It will compromise your security clearance. It'll comp, it'll compromise man, man card or, you know, whatever. So it's like, I've tried and tried and tried. And I know if we could share cannabis together, 
it's a passion. It's beyond a passion at this point for me. Like it is just, it's just like, it's like, um, I don't know, grown into me, you know, yeah. it's just become a part of who I am. It's a part of my spirituality. It's a part of, I just have so much belief and faith in this plant because I know it works. I know it does. And I know it could work for him. And I know psilocybin could do wonders yeah. for him and our relationship. If we could share psilocybin, even microdosing together, I really think that it would open up his, I don't think, I, I don't know. I just think it would allow him to maybe emote because I just think that he feels like he can't emote anything, not just, you know, he can't not it's not just tears or sadness or weakness or any it's anything like above a certain level because that is out of control and if he loses control you know he cannot who knows if he'll, he'll be able to reel it back in so it's like he has to just maintain control at all times and i just know if he could like shake it up and loosen it up a little bit he would just be able to feel and and live instead of just tolerating existence yeah. and i feel like a lot of veterans that come home they are put on ssris they're put on these you know benzodiazepines they're put on regimens of tens of pill you know 10 pills at a time i had a buddy who actually i'm doing the volunteer thing at the veteran thing with tomorrow and when he came home they had him on 14 different medications and he said that he had just like become wow. basically a walking zombie to where he was like literally drooling at the dinner table. Like he was just sitting like this and like just drooling and his family just thought that he was, you know, gone. Like he was done for, you know, like he was just so damaged. It was, no, it was the medications because it was like yeah. you were treating just the side effects from, and it's just a tangled web once you start treating just side effects, because then it's like you just stack them one on top of the other. And the benzodiazepines and alcohol are the only two drugs that can mm. kill you when you withdraw from. So, you know, they come home from war and they're putting them on these regimens of these drugs. And then it creates these patients, but it's just keeping them tolerating things and right. that's not you know it's just sad and i know they're doing all these studies and they're doing all these veteran-led ketamine and whatever but it's like who what what veteran can just pick up and leave their family you know it's just not a feasible thing for everybody so you know and in the meantime upwards of 40 or more I read somewhere that could be 70 or more veterans are committing suicide or dying of opioids, overdoses or complications from opioids in some way. So it's like, how many have to die before, you know, give them cannabis at least, like at least that. So I don't know. It's so frustrating and it's, it's frustrating for, I'm sure my husband but oh, i know it is i shouldn't say i'm sure or i think it i know it is because he's voiced it multiple times because it's scary for him you know because before 
I couldn't be loud about it. I had to be basically a mole person for Jesus. Almost 20 years, I guess, because I got arrested when I was 19 for, um, I had, um, a few pounds of marijuana and at the time Oxycontin was like in its heyday right. and it was everywhere in Utah. So yeah. I can't even tell you how many people I buried and seen die and just ravaged by Oxycontin. Pharmaceuticals have failed me and every person I know at some point. And I'm, and it's probably failed every single person who's taken a pharmaceutical at some point. It's just, and people don't see it. Or they just refuse to. I don't know. Because in Utah, it, it's like the number one state for prescriptions as far as like um, antidepressants and things mm -hmm. like that goes. Number one in the in the nation. So for the amount of prescriptions. And it's just like there's just people tolerating life all over the place. And it's nothing's being fixed or helped or anything and so i'm hoping i don't know if anyone will listen to me honestly like yeah. here in mississippi it's a hard market it's a hard egg to crack i'm not gonna lie like i feel like an alien most of the time i felt like an alien most of the time in utah too because i just feel like i don't know i don't know i don't know if people know how to like <laughs> tolerate me i don't know but i think they'll listen but i don't know if they'll think it's okay but i'm still gonna tell them it's okay because this thing's been a sin cannabis has been a sin and it's been illegal for forever so and i know what that's like because it was like that for mormons as well it was illegal and it was also gonna send you to hell you know mm -hmm. so um i know what that shame is like and i know what it feels like to carry that around and you don't have to you never did in the first place. Like, so I don't know. I'm hoping Mormon, you know, the Mormon culture in Utah is very similar to the Bible Belt culture. Different names, but, you know, similar. Um, <clears throat> very, you know, strict uh, values and beliefs. And so... I don't want to like rock the boat and make people think I'm, you know, nuts out here trying to shake things up. But I just want people to know that there is an alternative and that, you know, there are options other than just putting a Band-Aid on something and paying a pharmaceutical company for the rest of your life, you know. So we'll see if they listen. <laughs> I don't know. I but. think so. You know, sometimes... In a sick society, the person who is healthy is looked at like a pariah. You know what I mean? Like when you're going around trying to help people, but no one really wants help because they're afraid. It's not that they're afraid of you. It's they're afraid that you have a solution. And if you provide them with the solution, it means everything else they were doing was wrong. So it's not you mm -hmm. that they're upset about. It's not the, the thing you're offering. It's the fact that you're trying to get them to look at their life and say, hey, Maybe you made a mistake here and people don't want to make mistakes specifically because of the way you feel right now. Like you are standing up for what you think is right. You're the person going out and saying, look, this is a better answer. I've, I know I've done it. And people are like, whoa, yeah. if we do what she says, then maybe we're wrong about our relationships. Maybe we're wrong about our kids. Maybe we're wrong about our parents. And that is the thing that people are taking the drugs to get away from. Like they don't want to face reality, right? 
like moms to be okay with it and sure. like okay so here's an example of exactly whoa fly away i just thought <laughs> here's an example of my friend my best friend okay my twin freaking flame it is wild our lives have been parallel in so many ways we have children like it's just wild how things and like our children even look alike mm -hmm. like my little boy has red hair her mm -hmm. little boy has red hair it's just like our daughters are this we have a daughter first and then we have a son two years right. later both of us i don't know anyway wild right mm -hmm. right so she and i met in a sober living and so um so i was um part of that ravaged Okay, so when I was 14, my mom came home with cancer. Mm. Along with cancer came Oxycontin and Ativan and Percocet and all this other stuff. And at the time, it was like marketed 1% or less chance of addiction. Um, mm. Miracle drug of the future. Right. So they're pushing it on all the, all the pharmaceutical reps. And in Utah it falls under so in in mormon culture um in the book of mormon they have what's called the word of wisdom so it's basically like another set of rules to follow um along with the 10 commandments i don't even remember i think there's i don't even remember how many or what it you know like it's been a while right <laughs> look it up but in the word of wisdom, it says nothing about pharmaceuticals, right? So mm -hmm. if your doctor who happens to also be in your church congregation or whatever, because <clears throat> that's usually how it happens is like, right. you know, your doctor or he's your, you know, church leader or whatever. He's, you've grown up with him your whole life or whatever. So um, they prescribe you Oxycontin and so you, and they don't know and, prescriptions in utah uh, like anything it falls under the safety of well it's under a doctor's care it's under mm -hmm. a doctor's orders therefore it's not contradicting anything you know it says here in the word of wisdom so it gives you a pass right so yeah. oxycontin hits real hard in utah and everybody i knew in my high school knew at least one person who you know done it or od'd from it like it was rampant and my mom came home with it <clears throat> and it was in our medicine cabinet just next to like you know like the tylenol and the band-aids you know like it's just like in sitting there no uh, nobody knew the harm they didn't my parents didn't know i didn't know right and then you know my mom's diagnosis freaked me out because you don't really think of your parents dying when you're 14 you think of them always just kind of being there right yeah and so you know to hear that and to face that in junior high at such a weird age too yeah. where you're like yeah. in this weird like not woman you know britney spears not yet a woman phase or whatever and so i was very confused and you know i was angry at god and at the church because i felt like my mom had followed every rule she never drank never smoked never took a drug in her life why would she of all people 
be cursed with this, you know, with this cancer. It was in her sinus cavity. It was wild, okay? So it was this inner sinus, and it started had started to, like, grow up and behind and, like, push her into her ocular cavity. Wow. And if, you know, if it had metastasized anymore, it could have gone into her brain, you know. But they caught it in time. You know, she had radiation and whatnot. But, like, the damage was done, and she was a patient from then on. And so in her in them creating her as a patient they also created me as a patient at 14 yep. i'm confused about you know all these things and i'm mad and angsty and emo and whatever and you know and i have a friend that tells me like hey just take some pills and so and then i'm like well i wonder what we've got at home you know boom done over with i am a full-blown addict by the beginning of sophomore year so that would have been the beginning of summer before my sophomore year so by homecoming i'd say so we went on a trip to las vegas um for homecoming around homecoming and i remember that was the first time i started to withdraw because i was away from home and i didn't have any with me. i didn't bring any with me and because I, I didn't know and so i was so freaking sick and i didn't have the slightest idea why i thought i had the flu or a, or food poisoning or something and then as soon as i came home and i did one of those you know donezo gone yeah. my symptoms are over and i was like what you know because it still hadn't come out yet that it was so dangerous it was yeah. still being sold i mean this is gonna date the hell out of me but this was like 99 ish so this was like prime time oxy you know yeah all over so then you know it's just a domino effect from there and it just destroyed family it destroyed our family my mom never got better she had a stroke um the day before my high school graduation and that's wild because my mom and I never got along. My mom mm -hmm. was very different than me. I'm, I don't know if you can tell, I'm a little wild at heart. <laughs> so like the structure of like 50s housewife normalcy scares me mm. and I don't like it and it's suffocating. And I like adventure and I like to have things to go explore and i you know and i like a spice life needs to be spicy you know but my mom wanted everything in order and predictable and she was very good at balancing all that but she was anal af never told me she loved me she was very cold she made me sing all the time because <laughs> i could mm. sing well and so i was like her I don't know, man. It was weird. And then after, like, I don't remember her having any, like, affection toward me ever. There was one thing. I remember she came down in the basement. I was playing with my baby dolls because I was obsessed with being a mom when I was a little. Did I know how freaking hard that actually yeah. is? The breastfeeding is not fun. I pretend to breastfeed and I loved it. No, breastfeeding is really hard. Kudos to all you moms who breastfeed mm -hmm. for a really long time. Because my God, that is a challenge. It was really hard for me. I loved it, but I hated it at the same time. But my mom, after she had her stroke, her ego died. She didn't have 
that weird, cold, like mommy dearest attitude anymore. Hmm. She was like a freaking friend. She was chill AF. And I'm trying not to swear because I hate it and I don't want my kids to see. Let's see, I'm swearing. Mom doesn't swear. <laughs> but like my mom was all of a sudden very relatable and like just like super fun to hang out with. And I know she would have smoked with me. I know she would have taken psilocybin, but unfortunately she died before I was able to implement any of that also. So it's like, you know, I have these regrets, but I got away from the Oxycontin, but it's been hard because I got smashed up in a car accident in 2021. So I've had mm. to crawl out. So I did experiments on myself, guys. And I know for sure that <laughs> the pills are creating symptoms. So um, right after my accident, I was put on Oxy, right? I, I wake up, I'm smashed literally like head to toe. I had a big old gash in my face and then I had broken ribs on both sides, multiple places. I had a collapsed lung, I had a broken pelvis, I had a broken hip, wow. I had a smashed ankle in multiple places. My kids were restrained in their car seats and they walked away with my daughter had like a very small laceration and my son had just like a very small um like hairline fracture in his um from the his car seat whatever but nothing like both of them are absolutely fine they didn't you know they didn't have to stay in the hospital or anything and thank god but then there's and our little wiener dog walked away unscathed <laughs> entirely i was taking him to school it was my daughter's picture day and um we were on this windy road and there was these big vultures eating a dead whatever in the road and when they fly up their wingspan is huge so if it gets on your windshield you can't see and so i was trying to avoid that and so i went around them and it just went and we overcorrected and just <sighs> and then it's like you hear that oh my gosh that silence before impact is deafening okay mm. and it lasts forever and it feels like in the movie when everything like freezes and there's like broken glass like it really does feel like that kind of it's weird and awful but it also smashed me up real bad and so when i got out of the so I wake up in the hospital, first of all, and I'm like, oh, shit, you know, like, here we go again, dance with the devil again, because I know there's not really much of a choice. I know there is a necessity for pharmaceuticals. I'm not discounting them. I'm not saying they're all bad, right. but there should be so much more caution and I don't know, just options because so they put me on oxy straight away the kind with no tylenol the roxycodone okay so jesus here we go wakes up the beast inside you know unleashes that cage and so and i'm old enough now that i see it right and i'm like okay i can't i can't do this i have children i have two mortgages you know, I've got, <laughs> I've got all this stuff writing on this. I've got all this, <laughs> all this stuff I want to do to advocate. And I've got, you know, so 
I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to just write it out and see how long I can go. And then I'm going to taper, right? Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> so my doctor wants to keep me on it. And because she's like, okay, so they did an uh, whatever scan of my foot, my ankle. So I have residual. My biggest problem is with my ankle. It's not healed. And there's so much damage in the joint that it blew out the the ball, the ball joint. Mm. In my ankle, right? So in inside of there, it's just now every time I walk, it's just grind because there's none of the stuff that loses right. it up from being right. right. So it knocked all that off or whatever. So now it's pretty much ground down to where it's just bone on bone and it's just going to get worse and worse and it's arthritis it's just onset arthritis really and so they looked at it and the radio uh or the radiologist tech or whatever she was like that is horrific <laughs> and i was like oh my god because she did it over a voice thing and so i heard like the dictation and i was like oh you know great it's not great when they say it's horrific yeah. Yeah. So I need surgery. I don't want to, I don't want to be off my foot for eight weeks. And so I got to plan that out. But so until then, so I was on pain pills, these Roxy's every four hours and they bumped me up to 20 milligrams every four hours. And I was like, hell yeah, give them to me, baby. I need them. You know, my foot had ballooned up. God, it looked like it was almost as bad as when I was pregnant and I blew out some flip flops. You know what I mean? Like I was bad. So it was almost that bad. And I'm like, why am I? It's just it's because of the injury. You know, it's all the injury that's causing this inflammation. So I long story short, I made the decision. I don't want to be on pain pills. I've got to find another a different way to deal with this. So I withdrawed at home and mm -hmm. it was shitty, but I did it and I got through it. And then I started microdosing like right away. And, um, obviously I was using cannabis pretty heavy throughout that time. I utilized Kratom for the first mm. two days. And then after that, I cut it out. Um, I didn't need it after that. Or I didn't want it. I just was yeah. like grossed out. I didn't want, you know, Kratom is off. Okay. And if you've ever got it stuck in your throat before, you want to die. You might think you're dying. Actually, it is bad. Or if you inhale and it comes out your nose, that's another bad one. <laughs> that is awful. So anyways, I got off of it and then... I was like, what the hell? Because all of a sudden, for like two days, I had to pee all day long for two days. It just felt like I was going to pee my pants all day, no matter what I did. I lost 30 pounds of swelling, just wow. probably in my like lower extremities. I'm not joking. And I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a lie. I thought our scale was broken. So I was like, I'm going to guinea pig myself and I'm going to do it again. So I did. And so I basically got myself addicted twice and withdrawed just to see, to prove to myself, I think, that the symptoms I had were a 
were just because of the pain meds and it was mm. all the pain it was from the swelling right because all right. that swelling is so uncomfortable and your body doesn't want to retain all that water it's so used to not having to do that that's why it doesn't do that it doesn't want it so yeah. like duh Haley. but still I lost all that bloat. I lost all that water out of my body. And I didn't have the limp that I normally had. Like even driving. So you, I, I, I've been driving a lot because I've been trying to do this advocating thing. And so I'm using my tax or I pretty much used it up now, but I used my tax return to just kind of travel around Mississippi and see you know, patients and actual people and kind of get a feel for it here and, you know, what I can do to help and fill in, you know, find the gaps and whatever I can do to help fill them and whatever. And so, um, anyway, yeah. So I, I, when I travel, my ankle will swell. Like when I'm driving and stuff, I think, you know, obviously because, you know, and I'm like in Jackson, the capital, I'm four hours from Jackson. I live in like the northeast tippiest corner of Mississippi. So it's a substantial drive. And I used to just get here and be so uncomfortable and hardly even be able to walk on it. Mm. Now it's like no issues whatsoever. And it just, it fucked me up so bad because I was like, man, all this time, all this time, just wasted, you know, and just all this money wasted, giving it to somebody I hate. I hate the Sacklers. I hate Purdue. I hate all, I hate all that stuff. It's killed a lot of my friends. It's still yeah. killing my friends. So for instance, my twin flame, did I even finish talking about her? I don't think I did, <laughs> but she got so mad at me. She called me and she was going to ask me for money. I knew what she was doing because I. she was like, my cash app card, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as she said, started talking about it. So she's right now back in active addiction, her and her mm. husband. He was a coach for a very prominent football team. And, and like, sh man, it's just like, it's fast. It'll take you out real fast so they're doing meth and fentanyl mm. fentanyl fentanyl mm. fentanyl they're doing the fentanyl to come down and i'm like do you know how much fent and she's like no you know of course they don't know so anyway um she calls me asking me for money and i was like i can't give you money you know i'm so sorry i just i can't and I was just like over it and I might've been a little bit rude, but I was just done. I've given her money a lot and I didn't know she was using cause she was lying to me mm -hmm. and she told me it was just her husband and she was acting like, you know, this wounded wife and whatnot, but she was using with them the whole time and she was taking the money I was sending her for her kids and I'm sure they were using it for drugs. And so I just... I, she's lost her kids now and she's not doing anything to get them back. You know, they're not doing anything. They keep saying they're going to do Ibogaine and they're going to do all, they're saving up for Ibogaine and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, 
like, what are you doing now? And so she got mad at me and she Mm -hmm. flipped out and she was like, you just, you're better than everyone because you're taking mushrooms and cannabis and blah, blah, blah. And she was like yelling at me, like, your life is so great. You talk about how your life is so great. And I was like, yes, it is. It is. It really freaking is. And it just, I was like, I'm sorry. I can't. You know, I can't explain it to you anymore. I love you. You know, I want to help you, but this is not the way, you know, I can't, I can't just give you money. I don't, you know, so hung up. And then she sends me a bunch of text messages, like block me on everything. If you want, I was like, I'm not going to block you. I love you. I do. I love you. And it is a better way of living. It really is. Like I finally have found, and I'm going to cry. I'm a crier and I'm really sorry, but I've looked my whole life. So I never knew what it felt like to know God. Um, When I was Mormon, like everyone would talk about, you know, the burning in your bosom and all these different things that you would feel when um, like God was communicating with you or whatever. He was answering your prayers. And I never felt those things. I never felt any of it. And it made me feel so left out. And it made me feel like a freaking alien again, you know? You know, I'm already weird enough. And so, and the and the community I was raised in is so, so predominantly Mormon. And it's, there's nothing wrong with it. And like most, a lot of my family are, and I support that. But for me... Sorry, I'm tipping it. Um, for me, I never felt that. I never felt a connection to God. And I never felt it by worshiping the way that they did. Until um, I took psychedelics. And it finally... I'm able now to like look at other people and say, Okay, I know what you were feeling now when you said that. And I know now, like, okay, cool, that's your thing. That's how you feel that way. But this is how I have to do it. And it may not line up specifically with how you do it for you, but, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just too much of, like, a science-based person and I have too much of a curiosity or too much of a curious mind that I asked too many questions and nobody could really give me sufficient answers. And I think that that just made it hard for me to believe in something like that. But this I know because I've seen it and I feel it every single time. So, um, sorry, right now, um, I, you know, I'm a mom, I've got two kids. Um, and I'm at home right now because I'm using my, like I said, I'm just going and doing advocating and I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. But, like, mushrooms and, or psilocybin and cannabis have given me the ability to be the mom I wanted as a kid. You know, like, the mom that paid attention and that acted interested and and celebrated their, you know, everything. So, um, yeah. So, it's just given me 
it's given me a life, basically. I didn't have a life before. I don't know what I was doing, but I wasn't living, you know? I was just surviving. But I don't have to survive anymore. And it feels weird sometimes. Like, it feels... Um, un- I feel uneasy about it because I feel like I always kind of have to be in survival mode. And so to feel mm. like I don't have to be in survival mode is an uncomfortable feeling sometimes, but it's a good uncomfortable feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's shitty about psychedelics too, is like, nobody talks about like, there's some pain involved. Like, I'll tell you what. You got to shed some unhealthy people sometimes and it's not always what you want and it's not always which brings me right back to my husband and I wonder how many marriages um you know of of combat veterans and just people with PTSD in general who are veterans I wonder how many marriages could have been saved potentially with psychedelics, you know, if that could have been implemented, because I think a lot of these soldiers are just unable to say how they really feel. And they don't want to say how they really feel because of the perceptions that they think that it will, you know, that people will have and that are untrue mostly, but you know, it is what it is. So yeah, so how do you un how do you un how do you un f u c k you know all these years of of misconceptions that are just drilled into these these people's heads like that you have to be stoic you have to be brave at all time can't let it you know can't let the can't let it fade can't let it ever show any emotion that's a weakness so. I don't know. Hopefully, they just know that they have permission <laughs> now. Well, I don't. It know seems like, you know, it seems to me like in all of our lives, there's usually someone that people look up to. And it sounds to me, whether it's your friend that's ha- struggling with addiction, when I hear the word she says about you, like, oh, you have this perfect life. What I hear is someone who looks at you and looks up to you and is like, how are you so strong? When she says stuff like that, what I hear is, how are you so strong, Haley? How can you do it? And I think when, you're, when your husband is talking to you, he, I'm, I guarantee you he's silently struggling, but he probably looks to you as the rock of your family. When your kids look at you, they're like, look, mom is stepping up. Mom is going out advocating for something she believes in. So it's these daily battles of standing up and regardless. When I hear your story, I think of someone who is, has the courage to get up every day and fight every battle with every ounce of tenacity they have in their soul. And that is how people begin to change. They see people in their lives, they get up and do it regardless of how they feel. And I think that that's what you're doing. I think that your friends see it. I think your husband sees it. And from what I'm hearing is I see even the people back you know, in Utah that are looking at you, like you broke out of something that couldn't contain you. Here's this thing that's trying to hold you in. And you're like, nope, you can't contain me. I don't care what you do to me. You've always found a way to find the best route out. And sometimes it's hurtful. Sometimes people don't want to let you go because they want you to stay there in the suffering with them. So what you're doing is it's fucking mesmerizing. It's beautiful. You should be really goddamn proud of yourself for doing it because people around you see it. And you may be the only light in their lives. And that's probably 
I mean, that's something the psychedelic shows you is like, look, you do have the courage to do it. I'll help you. Psychedelics have a way of finding that flame and blowing on that ember to make you become the biggest, most powerful light so you can walk down that path and other people can follow you. You know, and I, I love it, man. I, I, I hear a lot of pain and anger, but what I, what I hear mostly is the heart of a champion. I'm fucking proud of you, Haley. You're crushing it. And the fact that you, you find ways to go out there and knock on doors and kick down doors and make people listen to you, it's that exact power. It's that authority that you're giving yourself that's going to make people listen to you. Because anybody can quit. You've had every single reason in the book to quit, but you never have. Like, that's not something people have. Like, that's something that people, you can't teach people that. That's something that grows inside of you. And if you hadn't had all of these things happen, you probably wouldn't be who you are today. You wouldn't have the fire to do all the no. things you're doing. No, not at all. And, and and it helps me, I think, in a lot of ways, too, because I can yeah. talk to people on a yeah. real level. Because I can be like, man. I've been an addict. Yes. I've been in the lowest yep. trench. You know, I've been there. I have. Yep. And I have known what it's like to have to crawl out of that hole over and over until yep. you finally get some footing to where. And I'll tell you what, again, the footing that I got didn't start until psychedelics about a year ago. And when my uncle killed himself, it was just like freaking all the fire just ignited in me. All the all the gas was just thrown on the flame. And I cannot, there's not like, there's nights I can't sleep because yeah. I just think about like all the people that are suffering for no reason. And it just makes my heart literally just fucking hurt because I know what that's like too and I've been oh my god depressed like I have been so bad like my husband had to pro literally I felt like just gum on that melted in the sidewalk I was just on the ground and I couldn't even I didn't even have the will to like get up and shower or anything. I just couldn't even, I just didn't want to even deal. I just cried. And so finally my husband was like, this is enough. And so he picked me up and he put me in the shower. And I think like the next day, actually I got a job offer to work in cannabis. And I think that like, that was kind of like, you know, woke yeah. me up, but, um, I don't, uh, bud tending is not, is I am a closer and I can do it all day and I love bud tending, but I, that's not my passion. It, right. you know, is sitting in four walls and under somebody else's instruction of telling me what to sell. I'm not going to endorse your shit unless I know it's legit. <laughs> right. I'm not. I'll tell you straight up if it's garbage. I have. I told a cultivator his shit was garbage. I got some <laughs> Gary Payton and it was trash. I got it for the playoffs and I was so excited and then it was just not. It was very, very subpar. And I told him because I was like, listen, coming from a place of community and love, you know, I just want you to do better. <laughs> and he, he accepted it and he took it. He took it in stride and I give him kudos for that. 
But like, you know, that's just not me. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sell. So it's medical here, strictly. It's not recreational. So I'm not gonna work in a dispensary and treat patients that come in like customers Mm. and try and push, you know, whatever it needs to be bumped out because it's getting close to its turn time or whatever. I'm not gonna do that. I'm just not, I don't feel good about it. If, you know, your Mima comes in and she's looking for a specific strain to treat her, you know, arthritis or whatever, I'm not going to sell her some shit that I know isn't going to, you know, and remotely help with that. Like some, I don't know, like some pineapple express, like that's not for arthritis. You know what I mean? So I don't know, just things like that didn't, didn't spark joy with me. So I found out that me working one-on-one with patients, however, and sticking up for them, because that's what I've always yeah. done. I've always just hated to see people treated unfairly. I fucking hate it that's mostly why i left or i don't want to um go back to the mormon church is because um you know i have a lot of friends that are in the lgbtq community and i have a lot of friends who are addicts and i have a lot of friends who are in prison you know that are another side of the victims of the opioid epidemic and so I just, I just can't see them be ostracized, you know, and I just yeah. can't see them treat, be treated differently. And I know there's like, you know, some people that say, okay, well, there's, you know, like, there's like, I can't remember what they call it. Some kind of Mormonism where you're like accepting or whatever of it, of because homosexuality is extremely looked down upon it's like one of probably the worst things you can do is be a homosexual in in the because you're not making babies that way baby (laughs) and you know what babies are tithe paying members of the corporation Mm. so it's like you know they encourage people to have all these babies because they want those babies to pay tithe eventually and they give 10% of their income every month to the church. And if you don't, you don't get in to the temple. So, you know, and that's like the, that's like the club, the clubhouse. So you, mm. your membership is null and void if you, you know, and it's just silly, just things like that. I don't like it. I don't like exclusion. I don't like, I don't like feeling like it's not fair. I'm the mom, unfortunately, on the soccer field that's like, both teams, you know, like, because I just want everyone to win. I want everyone to feel good. I don't want people to be left out. I don't want people to feel bad because I've been left out and I have felt bad and it fucking sucks. I'm one of five children. I'm number four and two of my siblings don't talk to me Hmm. and that freaking hurts, man. And it's not because of anything that I feel like I'm doing wrong, even. It's just, like, they just choose not to, and that's fine. That's their choice, but it still stings, and it's always been that way, you know? It's always been, I've always felt that way, and it's always been mostly because I just didn't, I just didn't fall in line with everybody else, you know? and. 
sometimes when you dance to your own beat of your own drum, it's very lonely. It's a very lonely dance, unfortunately. And, um, but I hopefully can use my loneliness as some sort of, I don't know, motivation to get out and mingle with actual patients and you know get to know actual people and you know not just get focused on the business side because I feel like everyone gets sucked up into the money and the business and it's like we can finally you know sell weed legally and it's like oh we're gonna make so much no you're not gonna make a lot of money I'm get any money i'm spending my own money you know mm-hmm. like because i just want people to feel better i really do and it's unfair that there are so many like laws and restrictions of who can you know what i can even do there isn't even like really a job for me to do this like i basically am like creating i'm trying well i'm trying to like manifest to give me a job doing this and so i don't know i don't know if if mississippi's ready for that though so we'll see well regardless yeah no i think that you know in creating a path it's like if you go out on a trail you can follow the trail and you can get to the destination but if you create your own path, you're going to get scratched up. You're going to get hit by some brushes. Mm-hmm. You might even fall down. But you know what? You may also find a view that no one else has. The only way to make discoveries is to blaze your own trail. There's like a one of my favorite myths is like this myth of King Arthur. And they're sitting down in this giant tower. And they're sitting down with the knights at the round table. And they're getting ready to eat this amazing dinner. And all of a sudden, there's this beautiful like light. It's like, oh. And like the golden arc shows up on the table and all the knights and King Arthur are like, whoa, what is this thing? And they have this vision. And in this, in this vision on the table, they're told to go and find the ark. So the knights stand up and King Arthur stand up and they, they decide to go and find the ark of the covenant. And they, what they do is they find, they make their way to the dark forest and they decide that the only way to ever find this beautiful vision that they're looking for is that they have to go alone. And not only do they have to go alone, but they have to find the darkest, craziest, scariest part of the forest for them and make their own trail. Right. And that's the kind of the beauty of our lives is, look, you could stay in Utah. You could make amends with your family and you could stay the course of that way. But that's not the life that you were handed. Your life is a life of discovery. Yeah, way more than now. Like, and the thing that I have learned in life is that when we look back on the tragedies of our life, what we see when we get to the end of the road is like, wow, that was a tough part of my life, but I'm glad I took that because I'm here now. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, when I think about what you're saying about helping people, the only way you can really help somebody is to understand what they're going through. And the only way you can understand what they're going through is to have gone through something similar. You know what I mean by that? Like, that's why you can help out other women that are in relationships with with soldiers who have PTSD. That's why you can help out with a friend with addiction. That's why you can kick down doors because you've gone through all that. And that's like a badge of honor to not only go through it, but to come out the other side with the understanding of how to get through it. I think that's the purpose of tragedy sometimes. And I, it's not that life is trying to hurt us. 
It's that we're not real good dancers and life is. Life is swinging us around and showing us stuff and we're falling here and there. But look, once we learn how to dance, all of a sudden, guess what? We're starting to dance with life. This thing you talk about, hey, I'm trying to get someone to give me a job. You're creating you're an entrepreneur. You're, you're out finding ways to make the world better and the world will reward you. I promise you on that in ways you can't even imagine. It will, but it's just a matter of going out and continuing to do it. You're continuing to dance. You're finding a way. And in doing that, you're inspiring other people to do it. And there's no amount of money that can do that. There's no amount of money someone can pay you when the payoff is inspiration because inspiration is something that lasts forever. Money is something that people hand you a paycheck with and, hey, go sell this to this person that doesn't need it. Anybody can do that, but not hardly anybody can do what you're doing. And I, I hope you are firm with that. I hope you understand that what you're doing is not only something that's necessary, but it's something that you're called to do. And a lot of people, they, they hear the call and they can't do it, right? You should be, it's a beautiful thing. And I know it's hard, but if it was easy, everybody would do it. You know what I mean? And it's hard sometimes to find the balance yes. and like, so like, for instance, my son, he's six. Oh God, here we go. I'm going to cry again. Just <laughs> warning you. Um, he came to me and he said, mom, I miss you so much. And, you know, and he said, I, he said, when you're gone, I feel like a part of me is gone and I lost it, obviously. And it's so hard to explain to a six. Oh God. Okay. First of all, he is not only a six year old. He's like a 55 year old <laughs> in a six year old body. He has like a stock portfolio stash somewhere. I swear to God, he is the most astute, like well spoken scholar and a gentleman i'll tell you what man i don't know <laughs> it must be all the jaws he loves jaws okay all four jaws movies oh man duh, duh, i can't handle any more jaws movies anywho he um he told me that and that was very hard because um I haven't been gone from him really his whole entire life. I've been home with him and it's still very fresh to him that I was home with him because I stayed home with both children. Um so I didn't, you know, I didn't finish my degree. I encouraged Bryce, my husband. So when we met, he was still in the military. He was fresh off of um combat he had co just come home from afghanistan hmm. um in 2012 and so um he and i or 2011 somewhere around there but anyways so um when we started to when we were together when we had penny my first child we decided that i would stay home um because you know it just it's just the way it is in Utah, and I'm pretty sure it's probably most of the, you know, country, you know, it's just how you fall into things. The woman just typically ends up staying home, and it was just like, you know, he's a very alpha kind of guy, and so the, it was just like that kind of role. It fell nicely, and that's what I assumed I was supposed to do, you know, like, that's just what I had been taught and shown what I was to do. I was to be a wife and a mother, a vessel. And so 
I did that and I love my babies and I love being a mom, but I am not fulfilled entirely by being a mother and a homemaker. I'm not. I hate cleaning. I'll tell you honest truth. I freaking hate it. And I do not want to make a career of cleaning my house over and over. I want to do something I'm interested in and I want to do something that I feel is impactful. And even if I lose family members and I have to shed some friends in the process, like the end goal to me is just so much more important because they'll see eventually, I think, you know, like already I feel kind of vindicated for like cannabis and all the studies that have, you know, all the science that's coming out about all the benefits and, yeah. you know, <laughs> told you so for 20 <laughs> years, but whatever. So anyways, when my husband and I got together, the whole point of me telling you that, um, we decided that I would stay home and then, um, that he would go to school. So he finished his stuff and now he has an, a great career in aerospace. Right. So now I'm 37 and it's like, I'm starting from scratch mm-hmm. now. It's rough, man. <laughs> like. I'm not about to get in some debt for now for school. It's hello. I'm like halfway through with life, maybe even more than halfway through. So shit. I don't know though. My grandma is 95 and her twin sister is also alive and 95 and their sister, my great aunt Nancy is 90 something. And she's also still alive. I really hope I don't inherit those genes, though, because I don't want to be 90 and alive. I just feel like by then my body's just going to, I'll be like the crib keeper. You know, like on um, Beetlejuice, when, <laughs> when it's the part when he's like doing the the spell and like they're falling apart, mm-hmm. like Gina Davis, like her like jaw falls off. Yeah, that would I remember. Be at 90. <laughs> But you know what, though? At 90, that would only put you one third of your way through life. So maybe this is just. I don't want it. <laughs> but what I'm saying is maybe this opportunity that's presenting itself in front of you is an opportunity to be reborn the same way that the oh, butterfly emerges from the cocoon. Right. So, too, are you emerging in this new form? And any sort of birth I is difficult. I sort of feel re- like a rebirth. Yes, right. exactly. Right. It's wild, too. And it's so hard for moms i think to Mm -hmm. um like talk about this out loud with each other because there's so much of a stigma especially against cannabis and psilocybin like microdosing it's still not acceptable and it's still not talked about even though it should be yeah so hopefully i this is honestly like i don't give a shit about making a ton of money i'll be straight up i'm not great with money i don't want it i don't need it Like, I want enough to be able to sustain this so I can keep doing this. Right. Because otherwise I can't. And so I just want to, you know, I don't want more than any. I just want a simple life where I'm able to help people see a better way. And it's like, so whatever I've got to do to make that happen, I'm going to do it because I don't want anyone to be like I was anymore and just feel like the only option that you have is Prozac or mm. Xanax or whatever. I am missing chunks of my life 
dunabenzodiazepines because they rob your memory entirely. They just eat chunks of time too, like days. I don't remember a lot of my baby's developmental years because they put me on Xanax because of I had postpartum anxiety, right? So immediately they put me on a benzodiazepine and it's like, I don't, rem- I, and I'll never get them back. I'll never be able to recall those. And I don't have video of all of it, you know? And right. so I just, so you, like, you know, when you're talking about all these things that I like that I should be proud of, I feel shame. That's mm. how fucked up, like the culture is around this is that mm. instead of feeling like brave and proud of myself, I feel ashamed like I can't be proud of it. You know what I mean? Like I am still indoctrinated to think that I am doing something against God or against, you know, something. And so it's like this cycle of shame is just, it's awful. It's like, it can, it's a killer. It kills people, you know? And it's just these very, complicated things to unravel and it's like so I don't know it's hard to get the shame away from feeling like it's something acceptable because there's still a lot of shame in other people's views about it and so it's like you know when they feel like it's shameful it's like you kind of start to trick yourself again into thinking it's something to be ashamed of but there, what is what that was what a is, lot of comment. no it's all good it makes it makes it what is shameful like what particular experience is shameful that it's illegal for one mm. like that psilocybin right. is illegal. you're breaking the law i mean mm. at the end of the day and so this this is what drove me underground for so long is the threat of DCFS at my door, mm-hmm. snatching my kids like the scary guys in E.T. You know the part in E.T. with the white guys and the coats and they come yeah. in? Holy shit, that scared me so bad as a kid. So bad. Just that someone like that could just come into your house and snatch your alien friend, you know, <laughs> just out yeah. of nowhere. And not tell you where they're taking them. And they're in like these scary white hazmat. Anyways, I I translate that into DCFS. Like what it would be like. Because it's that same fear. It's like that ice in your vein fear. Like of like. And I know I am not the only parent who feels that way. And who is worried about that. And I think that that's a lot of why moms in my I can't speak for fathers um but I do know that I you know I have a lot of friends in my um mom groups on Facebook and things like that that are in the same boat as I am and it's just like we're afraid of the repercussions Mm -hmm. and so I just have gone to the point where I don't give a fuck anymore and I'm a legal patient to use cannabis so that yeah. you can, you know, whatever. Yeah. But with the psilocybin, I will fight to the death in court about the benefits. And I will show them the benefits compared to yeah. what a traditional SSRI does. 
So, yep. you know, I think that my lawyering skills are true crime based. <laughs> Years of true crime, I will add mm -hmm. multiple, multiple seasons of Dateline, you know, so I feel like I'm pretty solid as far yeah. as defending myself. Yeah, there's I'm a group serious, of though, like fuck them. Yeah, there's a group of um I think there's a group called Sisters and Psychedelics of which a large portion are part of the psychedelic bar group, you know, so they're lawyers that and mm -hmm. women that believe in the exact same mission that you have and they might be a really good source to reach out to and and I'm going to have to I think yeah. I might follow them on LinkedIn yeah. actually. Yeah. About to reach out and see cuz I'm happy to advocate for anybody that I believe in. Yeah. I have to like believe in you, sorry. But like I yeah. will go hard if I believe in your cause, I will defend you as far as I can take it, you know, and yeah. I will promote it and I will make sure, you know, like I have a friend, his name's Otha. He made he's a freaking genius, first of all. And second of all, he is gorgeous. <laughs> he looks like Pharrell Williams, okay? He's just <laughs> super good looking. Anywho he created this app called tetragram and it's going i mean it's gonna so it's like a peer-to-peer -peer based app so like say i go to a um i go to a dispensary here there's one called green magnolia say i go to green magnolia dispensary here in uh, mississippi so i can clock that i went to that specific dispensary and say i bought cinderella 99 from wellcraft which is one of my friends derek hey derek and i love that strain it's freaking Fire. Anyway, send me some for free because I just plugged <laughs> that. But <laughs> Otha's app. So like I say, I really liked the Cinderella. I can rate it on the app and I can tell mm. you. And it's better than Leafly because it's not people being paid or, right. you know, giving given some sort of, you know, whatever. I don't know. If, what do they can? I don't even know what they can give them here legally discounts or you know anyways like your buddy your second cousin going on on leafly so this would be an actual like peer-to-peer -peer app so it would be actual people communicating about it instead of just people you know right making shit up so yeah. i you know and it'll be legit like one star and then it'll say you know like this made me feel sleepy hungry whatever and it'll be personalized to your own too so that you can track your own because i've been doing this anyway okay so this was another thing so when it come becomes federally legal i want to be able to tell my husband certain things that will help him that i think will help him you yeah. know because i that's part of the big reason why i started learning about it is because i wanted to be able to teach him right. and show him and help him when he was ready and unfortunately, it's taking a really long time. And even if it does become federally legal, I don't know if he'll be completely comfortable with doing it. He's just, you know, he hasn't for so long. And it is scary and daunting. And even with your crazy ass freaking weirdo wife, prof, you know, being a prophet about mushrooms all the time, like even then it's still you know he still has his reservations yeah. so it's a you know it's a natural 
human instinct to be scared of something unknown like this. And I think yeah. I just, I just have always like not had a very good, like gave a shit meter. So <laughs> it's like, you know, I just never <laughs> shit. I wanted to try and I'm so glad I did. And that's yeah. why you should all try. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's definitely something that is going to revolutionize mental health and it takes away the, lifetime addiction of being addicted to not only the pills but the care and the hospitals and all the trauma that comes with it and it, it's it, it can happen quickly too and it's it can it has the power to heal relationships the same way neosporin can heal scabs you know what i mean like it's it's really Absolutely. good right and yeah. mdma too like i think yes. that they implement that in marriage counseling like as like a freaking on a menu like you can go yes. into marriage counseling and you guys can take you know plan an mdma trip together holy shit that would heal so many problems with intimacy and yep. especially with veterans because yep. intimacy is so hard for them to do okay i did not see my husband like man he didn't know how to even hold our daughter okay we brought our baby home from the hospital and he was just like for the first six months he just like didn't know how to like emote he didn't know how to talk to her he didn't know like because baby talk and all that shit is so foreign to him like he you know like that kind of emotion of like mm -hmm. i don't know what even emotion is that just like fucking squeak, like that emotion <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? I get that bad. I, uh, man, I love a baby too. So, you know, my, I, and I'm like obsessed, like sniffing my newborn's head, like it's crack cocaine, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, the smell of a baby head is so bad and mm. addictive. It really is. Like it is, <laughs> I used to wear them just so I could smell their little heads. Um, but like, he didn't get all that. And like, and it, and it took him a really time and I had to like teach him how to talk to a baby like it just like things like that are just so suppressed like it seems silly but like it's just like things like that are like so hard for them to like because that shows some sort of like i don't know vulnerability i guess to talk to a baby because you're talking like in a cute voice and so you're not you know your kensington yeah. palace self all the time so it's hard to crack those guys and i think psychedelics is definitely the key and i just so tomorrow i'm going to tupelo um to the veteran of foreign wars mm -hmm. um it's like they're uh, god it's like at a hotel it's like a three-day thing i don't know if it's a conference or what or if it's just like open to the public but um there's gonna be a booth set up and i'm gonna be there just hoping to herd them in and sign yeah. them up so yeah that um, sounds awesome come on, buddy. let's get high <laughs> just kidding i won't say that <laughs> is it with like a specific no, person or is it with like is there, is there a company you're working with when you go down there yes okay so micah is the mississippi independent cannabis association mm -hmm. so it's a group of cannabis owner or you know cannabis business cannabis adjacent business like uh transportation mm -hmm. dispensaries cultivation all that kind of stuff so there's like 
at least 25, probably more now, businesses. And um, they formed this alliance. And so what they're trying to do is kind of great right now. So they're trying to redo the whole medical bill legislation. So they've all kind of banded together that, you know, they want things to be better. So unfortunately, like they're all focused on the legislation and running their businesses and, you know, cause it's a brand new industry in, in the South in general and Mississippi, like kudos to Mississippi actually for being a little bit forward thinking, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. for the South, they're dipping their toe. Hmm. So kudos to them for that. But that's why I was up here at this other thing. So last week I was up or down here, I guess it's down at a thing for a senator because I was trying to um, make sure that all the people, the main players in cannabis saw me and yeah. knew my face. I just want them to know I'm there and that someone was there advocating for patients. Someone showed up for patients. Someone showed up to be a voice and you know because i don't know if the senators have ever sat down with an actual patient i don't know if the governor himself has ever sat down with an actual patient and said you know what do you expect or what do you need what do you anything and i think it would really broaden their perspective of what they need to do and how they need to structure it if they did because i don't think that they have really done that i don't think they've really sat down with you know and thought it through with the public yeah. so yeah i hope that they are anyways so um what i'm going to do is just i'm trying to help michael with their social media and try and you know help them with what i can because they're doing you know a lot of the heavy lifting with the legislation and all of that kind of stuff so um they're doing a booth there and I will be there representing Micah. And with Micah, I will be facilitating people to sign up for the program. I'm also a patient. Um, I'm a patient myself, not a patient myself. Well, I'm a patient myself, but I'm also a registered agent. I have a badge. So <laughs> I'm a right. badge. Worker. You got a badge. <laughs> Yes. That was like the first thing I did too. When it, I knew it was rolling out, I was like, okay, let's go. Like I was ready. I was ready. I've been ready, man. I've been a mole person for the mm -hmm. last 20 years. So I'm ready. Can you tell? Like I look like, a, I look like I sparkle in the sunlight. Like I'm that, you know, bad. It's pretty bad, which is why I'm in the shade. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's, it's, it's like you've been training your whole life for this. And so it's exciting to have an outlet where you can pour yourself into that container and people can come and, and learn and understand. And look, you're speaking from experience. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, Haley, this has been a really awesome conversation. I appreciate you coming on. Thank I appreciate you, you being me. candid. I, I love it all. And I think that maybe we can inspire some people that, Look, I know without a doubt, there's people that are in the exact same situation and that your story helps those people. That's all we can do in life is try to inspire other people. And I think that we've done that today. And I look forward to future conversations and where, where's Me the best too. people. Yeah. Where's the best place for people to reach out to you is on your LinkedIn page or. 
you know, I just, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have like a, you know, blue check mark or anything. Right, so right. you can hit me up and I will probably respond because I think it's important. And yeah. I'm on LinkedIn under Haley Higgins. I don't think it has my maiden name. Yeah, it's just Haley Higgins. I'm about the only redheaded Haley Higgins on there. So. <laughs> And well, I, awesome. I think my email and stuff is attached to that. So if you want to get a hold of me that way, it's on there as well. Whatever. I'm yeah. open to it. Let's work together. Let's change some lives. <laughs> and if you have questions or whatever, like I'm happy to connect. And I've been through a lot of different trenches and I've crawled through them yeah and i will crawl through them with you and i promise you there is like an actual light at the end of the tunnel man like an actual light like for real yeah for, yep. for real reels yes well i appreciate it. i appreciate blazing the trail and helping people and everybody watching the show check out i'm gonna put her her uh linkedin profile link in the show notes so you can reach out to her grab some free advice some free information and she's willing to help out anybody that's willing to give her a buzz. And so Haley, hang on one second. I'm going to talk to you, but I'm going to hang up with the people for a moment. So that's all we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with the both of us. I hope you had a beautiful day. I hope you have a great weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Aloha. Aloha everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart, listen to the song on the wind, and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision and I hope you all conquer it and I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better, your life will be better and you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.